0: Welcome to Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. I'm David Plink. And I'm Troy Harkin. (laughs) Uh, Today's episode looks at the Twilight Zone. This is part two of our two-part episode. We're recording it on Sunday, April 16th, 2023, for broadcast on Saturday, June 10th, 2023. We have a special guest, Tom Elliott. Um, Troy did give us a spoiler alert. That's for a show that ended more than 60 years ago or almost 60 years ago. At the beginning of part one, we're recording the session via Zoom and we did provide a bio for Tom in the first episode and certainly check out the Twilight Zone podcast, which is the podcast that he uh, runs. Tom's bio also appears online and check out 20 ofca our website. Welcome back, Tom. It's,
1: uh, it's a pleasure to be back. Thank you so much.
2: Well, we're going to move on uh, and uh, have have some of our loose chat uh, about The Twilight Zone. We're going to look at uh, the era that followed The Twilight Zone and how it um, influenced uh, sort of the genre era that we live in now. Uh, we'll be looking at Rod Serling after The Twilight Zone and The Twilight Zone after Rod Serling. Um, but I want to thank you again, Tom, for taking uh, time out of your Sunday evening um, to join us because we've really been looking forward to this show, but also to having you join us. Um, we we t- asked you earlier about, um, you know, all of your favorite things. Clearly, the mm-hmm. Twilight Zone is one of them. Um, I, I want to ask you, what, what was it like uh, getting to go to uh, Serling Fest? What was that that whole experience like, and what what could you expect if uh, you know you were to go?
1: It was it was a pretty magical kind of experience for for a lot of things. First of all, you know I I loved the U.S. I've I've spent a lot of time in the U.S. and just going on this journey on my own to you know to New York and then across state to Binghamton, Rod Sailing's hometown was was pretty great, and I had been doing a podcast for a number of years at that point. So it was very strange to, to go to a place and people knew who you were, you know, and people coming over to you and saying, you know, we dig the podcast. And I thought that was so, that was so nice of them. And that was so cool. Um But it was a really nice event. You know, the, the event itself, had, it was, you know, different talks with different people. Like Bill Mooney was there via satellite link and and sailing was there and it's, it's small enough that you can interact. If you want to go and speak to Ant Te- and sailing for 10 minutes, it, you know, it's no problem because it's not like it's Comic Con or something. Um, and so you're getting to spend time with all these great people like Nick Parisi, the president of the Rod Sailing Memorial Foundation, uh, Martin Grams Jr., the author of. You know, I think it kind of eclipses the Twilight Zone companion in a way, unlocking the door to a television classic. I hear Mark Zickery's been at the last couple, and I'd love to meet him. I've interviewed him a couple of times, but hopefully if I get to go again, he'll be there. So it's just great. But I think overall, um as with anything, it's the people. It's spending time with like-minded people that you might not have in day-to-day life that is is really the, the best thing about it, you know?
2: Yeah, it's always great to be among community. Um, Mm -hmm. So you went in, what was it? Was it just before the pandemic? Was it
1: 2019? Oh yeah, we scraped in just in time. It was like October 2019.
2: Yeah, it's definitely uh, like a convention I would, Love to get out to, and it's not that mm-hmm. far away for David and I. David actually just did a uh, in November, did a uh, a convention in Rochester, so I, I assume it's not that far to get to Bingham. Bingham, I can't say it. Binghamton <laughs> is that actually where the where the uh, where it happens, Sterling Fest happens?
1: That's right. It's um, you know, obviously a bit of a trek for me, but I'm <laughs> yeah, a little a bit, bit closer, but um, yeah, it's in Binghamton. And I mean, I think there's going to be one this year. I'm not sure what date it's going to be. If it's the end of August, like I think it's going to be that, that's a bit unfortunate for me because I just can't make that, that date. Um, but I know that they've just got funding for a new rod sailing statue and that's going to be erected in Binghamton next year. And I really want to be at that. Um, so, you know, you guys can make it and we're all there. Let's sit round the table and do a little. You know, live roundtable podcast—that'd be great.
2: Oh, that would be excellent, and it would—it would, yeah, clearly be a dream of mine because the Twilight Zone is one of the most influential things mm-hmm. in my life. Basically, I, I probably—I don't even know if I would have started writing if—if if it wasn't for the Twilight Zone. Going back to influences and whatnot, um, what was it that drove you to podcasting, Tom? You do it quite well, and you—you've uh, been doing it for ages now. What was it you know that
1: that got you going? Well, I haven't always done it quite well. <laughs> I, uh, I I was writing um, DVD reviews, like horror DVD reviews, for a website, and um, and also I was I can't remember which came first now, but I was writing for a magazine over here in the UK called Scream. So I was interviewing you know, people like Tony Todd, Kane Hodder. you know, all these, these horror people. Um, and like the people on the website who I was writing for, they had, uh, they had various podcasts on there. So I thought, you know, I'll just give it a try. And I think it's more that in my day-to-day life, I don't have many people who are into the same things that I'm into. So it was just a way of kind of getting that, that part of you out there and having those conversations and, you know, interacting with people about it. And so I had this podcast called the gentleman's grind house. It was a horror podcast and podcasting was like the wild West back then. So the gentleman's grind house is very rough and ready, but I don't think it's even out there now, but um it was, it was a way of just learning the ropes, you know, and then I started the Twilight Zone podcast, which was also very rough and ready in the beginning. But I've just finessed it over the years. And, it, you know, it, hopefully it's where it needs to be now, you know.
2: Well, I like your sort of uh, slow and steady approach. You keep the shows coming. And uh, <laughs> my my only anxiety is, is what happens when you finish season five, because uh, we would like you out there for, you know, ever. So what well, does happen after
1: season five? <laughs> you know, I, I've I've thought about ways of continuing the podcast. Um, you know, one idea was that, uh, I'm sure you'll talk about it in a sec, like Rod Sailing's um, other show, Night Gallery, like the majority of those episodes are based on short stories. And I, I like doing short story readings. And I was thinking, well, maybe I could do that. But But sometimes I think sometimes things are better left, you know, sometimes it's better to say I've played my part. I've done yeah. my bit, you know, it was good. It was bad. It was whatever, but you know, it, it, it became, you know, a, a fairly successful podcast. And, you know, the, I think it's testament, testament to that is the people who I've had on it. People like Bill Mooney and Neil Holloman and so on. And sometimes maybe it's best to just leave things alone and, and not take them too far. So, I'm in two minds about that. It depends what day you ask me that question.
2: I wanted to ask you about something I heard uh, on one of your shows, Tom. Um, mm. I believe you said the Twilight Zone is a godlike presence. And I, I really like that concept. That's something that just came that I'd heard in some other form, not, not said in the same way recently, that, that it's almost like a force. And it reminded me of, um, it's a little like Kaa in Stephen King's Dark Tower novels. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I really love that sense, uh, like, because it's sort of, it's, it deepens my appreciation for the twilight zone. Can you expand on that idea a little bit? Um, sort of twilight zone, maybe as a unifying entity, like, uh, almost like Clive Barker's books of blood, you know, like have their, all these stories are fall under this, this larger thing. I, unless I've, I, I might have gone too far there, but if you want to <laughs> just mention or, or, you know, expand on the idea of twilight zone as a godlike
1: presence. Yeah, I, I I suppose I don't necessarily mean it in a kind of religious sense. It's more that, you know, the, the universe is a mysterious thing. And I kind of see it as these are all separate stories. There's no continuity between the stories apart from Rod Serling being there. And it's like he knows all the answers and he's going to tell you a little bit about something, but he's not, you know, telling you the answers to everything. So I always say, you know, is he a God? Is he a guide? Is he a judge? You know, is he all these things? And I think whether it was by design or by accident, you know, the the connective tissue between these stories is that the twilight zone sometimes seems to it's it's okay, it's like people get their comeuppance in the twilight zone, don't they? You see a really bad person get their comeuppance in the twilight zone through some unexplained thing. So the explanation for that is always the Twilight Zone, you know? And and I think it's a it's a kind of wrapper it's a wraparound to keep all these stories together where you think, well what is What has made this happen? Is it the Twilight Zone helping someone out? Is it the Twilight Zone giving someone their comeuppance? Or is it the Twilight Zone just saying to us as an audience, just bear witness to this, you know, just bear witness to this part of of humanity um, because I think you're going to learn something from this. So I don't think Sailing ever really defined it, but I think we all get a bit of that through watching it, you know? Yeah, and it
2: sounds like, um, the recent, uh, version of the Twilight Zone with Jordan Peele, they were looking to get into that, like really doubling down on that idea of this sort of, uh, construct. That, that, and, and we, we really, you know, opened that door when we got into the, the episode, the blurry man, but I shouldn't mm-hmm. get too far ahead of myself, uh, on that because that's exactly where we're, we're headed. So let me just, back up a little bit let's let's talk a little bit about um rod serling after the twilight zone Mm -hmm. um we know that um we get uh the co-written planet of the apes um i guess even before that we get the western the loner which i would love to find um you know because we it's sort of a a thinking man's western uh -hmm. where with a protagonist that uh, isn't looking to have shoot-em-ups every week um and that's sounds like one of the reasons why it got canceled but um you know that was part of what rod gave us we know that he also uh really seemed to enjoy teaching and being with students and sharing his love of writing with uh, younger writers um but the probably the, the thing that people are most aware of uh was the night gallery a very hearty welcome to night gallery and to a collection of art not found in your average museum these are paintings which represent life but occasionally death as well case in point this canvas here a bedroom but with all the cheer and warmth of a crypt beneath the paint in the patina is an ingredient called jealousy color it a monstrous green and call the picture room with a view So the Rod Serling's Night Gallery was on from 1969 to 1973. Though fondly remembered, the series was partially commented on by Serling. The hour-long anthology featured multiple tales per episode. Though the series consisted of 43 episodes, Rod Serling penned only about a third of those segments. The series tended to skew much closer to horror than the Twilight Zone had. Um, David and I had uh, got into Um, the night gallery on one of our first episodes now for me it it really messed with me (laughs) because I remember my mom would watch it when it was originally on and so I was about four or five at this point I guess I was five and I, I would be in bed and I would hear that really bizarre music kick in and as soon as I heard the music, I would just cover my head with a pillow because I think I had seen one episode, which was The Boy Who Predicted Earthquakes. Um, and and again, that just freaked me out. I thought, oh, my God, I can't imagine like being sort of cursed with this ability to know when people are going to die, when there's going to be a cataclysm. Um, so for years, until The Exorcist came along, Night Gallery was the thing that freaked me out more than anything else. Uh, David, do you want to share some uh, of your early uh, stories about Night Gallery?
0: Yeah, I've shared this uh, on a couple of our podcast episodes before, and now I'm starting to question myself because (laughs) I'm trying to find evidence of what I saw, and it's not working out. So basically, the story is at a (laughs) drive-in, we saw because there was a Night Gallery film. Uh, back around 69 that had like three ep- episodes. They did this kind of thing and just showed it at a drive-in. So I was there with my parents in the car watching this, which I was probably too young to see because I was probably seven or eight at the time. And there was this creature or something in, I think it was in a barn in the upper loft or something. We had to go up these these rungs to get up there. And there was this line drawn that basically, you know, that that gave you the impression. If you go past that line, there was a problem. There was something chained to a bed, and there were some eyeballs on the on the ground amongst the hay. And somehow, I think this was that from that Night Gallery movie. But now I'm trying to look it up, and somehow it doesn't match with whatever the stories were in that Night Gallery film. So it must have been something else, and I was conflating with it. Have you been Mandela? I believe so. I, I need oh, that no. buzzer. I think I need that buzzer because that's one of the, you know you believe in these store things that you remember in childhood. Now maybe this maybe I'm conflating this with something that actually happened to me, but that's a whole other psychology thing. That that well, um, that's a
2: multiverse, uh, David. Claim that's uh, Earth, Earth, Earth X or something like that. Tom, do you have any factual? <laughs> <laughs> stories to tell us about <laughs> the night gallery, your experiences with it favorite episodes or what have you
1: i mean i i'm I love the concept of the night Gallery. I think sailing did Twilight Zone, and to have him come back as a you know the progression of that this this person who's introducing you to the stories via these paintings, I just think it's wonderful and the, the thing about Night Gallery is not every story hits. It's it's nowhere near as consistent as the Twilight Zone. But what is consistent is because Sailing wasn't um in control of that show really. You know, he, he could have had control of it early on, but he was like, I'm older now. I did five years of Twilight Zone. It was hard work, you know, I will I will do the intros, I will have some input but I'm not going to control the show like I did the Twilight Zone which ultimately led to a lot of behind the scenes kind of aggravation but because he wasn't writing every episode but what he did write was his intros and his intros are just poetry, you know, just pure sailing wordplay that I absolutely adore Um, but yeah, you know, the episodes are hit and miss uh, but when it's good, it, it's really great. And part of the lore, is it, lore behind the scenes is that the producer, Jack Laird, just had a completely different sensibility to Rod sailing, So you'd find that Sailing would write a great story and it would go on there. But then Jack Laird would write this ridiculous little comedy skit right. that goes after it. And, yes. you know, it's it just so tonally uh, out there that it's uh, what, what do you do with that? I don't know
2: Okay, I have to ask you Tom um, there was a, a Canadian production that was I guess made for children called The Hilarious House of Frightenstein <laughs>
1: <laughs> Another lovely day
0: begins A and, and with greenish skin so close your eyes and you will find that you've arrived in Frankenstein. Perhaps the Count will find a way to make his monster work today he solves this monster mania he can return to Transylvania so welcome where
1: the sun won't shine to the castle of Count Frankenstein.
2: now have you never heard of that? No. Okay. No. So basically, yeah, it was this bizarre little uh comedy show and actually Vincent Price uh did the introduction for it and mm-hmm. he played a character on it as well where he would read poems and he could actually read some Edgar Allan Poe amongst these uh comedy skits. But when I when I ended up seeing um, Night Gallery when they would play those little snippets, those little comedy bits, like Dracula going to the blood bank, okay. uh, it reminded me so much of hilarious House of Frightenstein that I was okay with it. I mean, okay. it, it, it certainly it would, would have mortified me had you put that between um, I don't know Nightmare, uh, sorry, uh, Monsters Are Due on Maple Street and um, The Invaders. Say you know, <laughs> like that that would have been just wrong. Um, but. For some reason, I was okay with it. And and I, I'll say as well, I think that if I had to pick among the three reboots of The Twilight Zone and The Night Gallery, I think The Night Gallery would definitely be my favorite of those four. Um, I'm not going to force either of you to go down that lane. But uh, when did you first come across Night Gallery?
1: I mean, it was relatively recently. Because I, I actually cover night gallery on Patreon with a friend of mine, Chris Clayton. It's more of a conversational podcast like this, uh, rather than, uh, the Twilight Zone podcast, um, which is me solo. So we're, we're going through that. So I, I discovered I probably bought the DVDs years ago, but you know, the thing is when you do a podcast, as you guys will know, it tends to be whatever you watch is guided by whatever you're podcasting about. <laughs> yes. So so night gallery probably sat on my sat on my shelf uh, for a while but you know the the good the way to start watching something that's on your shelf is to podcast about it so that's what <laughs> that's we started right. doing on patreon
2: that's right it forces you to actually get around to it yeah okay i think we can pivot and move into um the twilight zone after serling did you ever watch the twilight zone O-dada, 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 o-dada. Oh God! Remember the Twilight Zone with Burgess Meredith? Remember he 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 loved to read, and there was a nuclear war, and he had no friends anyway, and he was oh, down in the yeah. basement library. Yes, he was the last man. He broke his glasses. Yeah. This thing freaked me out. When I was seven years old, I bought another pair of glasses just in case that would happen. Oh, that shows they they were so good. They were yeah. so scary. Hey, you you want to see something really scary? You bet. Really? Yeah. Okay, this is this is really, really scary now. I trust you. Okay, pull the car over. Pull the car over? Ooh. You want to see it? Well, show me while I'm driving. No, I can't. I can't tell you about it. It's only take a couple of seconds. All right, two seconds, okay? Okay. What is it? Just pull it over. Okay. I'll
0: show you. All right. Are you
2: ready?
1: Okay, go ahead. What are you doing?
0: You unlock this door with a key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension, a dimension of sound, a dimension of sight, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You have just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. So in June
2: of 1983, Twilight Zone the movie was released. Executive produced by Steven Spielberg and John Landis, the film featured remakes of three classic episodes, Kick the Can, It's a Good Life, and Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, as well as an original segment directed by John Landis. The film became notorious before its release when two children and actor Vic Morrow were killed in a preventable on-set accident during the filming of the Landis segment. Did you see... The film at the time of release, or you're probably too young, I'm guessing, Tom, that you would have seen it when it originally came out.
1: No, I didn't see it until uh, much later when it hits uh, probably DVD or Blu-ray. So, you know, within the last 10 years, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh-huh.
2: Okay. So you were already pretty much a hardcore uh, Twilight Zone fan.
1: That's right. That's
2: so right. what what were your feelings about the film?
1: Uh, that will probably depend on the day you catch me, you know, <laughs> and ask me that question. Um, in and of itself, I, I think it's okay, you know. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not one of these people who is is so very guarded of the Twilight Zone that you can't you can't do another Twilight Zone. That's just sacrilege. That's just not me. I, I'm very open um, to new Twilight Zone and uh, and continuations. I'm just not sure they really hit the nail on the head with with that version. There's some good stuff in it you know i I would say a nightmare at thirty thousand feet they added ten on um mm-hmm. is probably my favorite segment you know um but i I can get something from the others as well i i just you know I would say i I like it more than I love it, you know,
2: yeah, yeah, now, I will qualify what I'm about to say first off by saying. I'm a person who quite enjoys Howard the Duck. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's that. There's that. Um, but I was a, a total fanboy at the time. I was all in on anything Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and to see all of the stuff opening up around me, like the, the Twilight Zone magazine, which I loved getting monthly, um, you know, word, there were murmurs that there was going to be a series coming. Um, and then to actually get this film um from basically from you know Spielberg and and three of the best directors around at the time um I was I was very stoked um and I think probably because the lawsuit went on for so long there wasn't a lot about it in in the news really at the time so I think um and again I was just in that mindset of, of a fan so I was just really looking forward to this thing I went opening day um and I loved everything about it. Loved the, uh, uh, the, the wraparounds with Dan Aykroyd. Um, I love Burgess Meredith doing the narrations. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, when it cuts from sort of the, the intro segment. To the Twilight Zone theme on a large screen in 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 Dolby, it was just great. It's like I'm not watching my little TV in black and white and hearing it on a crappy speaker. It's like I'm I'm this is the Twilight Zone the movie. I'm I'm all in. So, uh, now David, you saw it for the first time last night, is that right?
0: Yeah, I, I finally watched it, and it had some of the classic um, episodes, sort of I guess reimagined or re. Um, done so i appreciated that and um, you,
2: were you saying kick the can was your favorite
0: yeah absolutely i mean it was just such an emotional such a powerful uh story and they just did it right and it just you know that's i think part of what science fiction is supposed to be about and and these kinds of um imagine you know these stories of imagination it's supposed to move you it's supposed to mean something it's supposed to resonate with you It's are supposed to feel that and you know otherwise what's the point and I think it did it very well
2: I have a feeling that I didn't see I hadn't seen um in syndication it's a good life yet so when I saw the dante version of that I quite liked it but of course you know I prefer the original version and Tom I was telling David because I watched it as well last night <laughs> when David said he was going to watch it I pulled out mine and got it going and uh, um, I was surprised. I, did, I forgot or didn't know that Billy Mummy was actually in that segment at the beginning in the diner. So oh, yeah. So I realized that wow, Billy Mummy has been in three versions of It's a Good Life.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it's a shame they didn't give him a bit more to do in it. I, you know, I would have liked him to have a bit of a bigger part. But it was nice that they stuck him in there. You know.
2: Yeah. In fact, yeah. I was thinking last night that what would have been cool is if they did a gender reverse on Anthony, and then he could have been you know the person who arrives and mm. then he he goes through the episode from the other side of things you know just uh uh no Perry Como don't be playing the Perry Como
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can't even play my own record I can't even play Perry Como You're a bad man you're a very bad man
2: Okay I think that pretty much covers the film then uh next thing we get was in 1985, CBS relaunches The Twilight Zone in prime time. The show ran for three seasons and produced 65 episodes. Writers and directors involved with the initial first seasons included Harlan Ellison, Stephen King, George R.R. R. Martin, William Friedkin, and Wes Craven. Among the actors appearing in the series were notable legends such as Helen Mirren, Morgan Freeman, uh, and Bruce Willis. By year three, it was decided by CBS. Well, CBS is always messing things up. Uh-huh. By year three, it was decided by CBS to produce the show strictly for syndication. There was no fourth year for the 1980 iteration of Twilight Zone. Now, I have either of you seen these episodes?
1: I've seen them all. Uh huh.
2: Uh huh. And so, um, how do you feel about it? And I'm not, I'm not setting you up here time, Tom. It's like, I, I, I think I feel like a lot of people, I was like, I, I quite liked a lot of them. I was, I was excited that uh, the series was rebooted. Um, I loved the talent that was involved. And um, uh, yeah, it's just unfortunate CBS didn't fully commit to it. And for a longer haul, that's how I feel anyway. But uh, how about you, Tom?
1: It's uh, like you say, there's some names attached to this thing, you know, some names attached to it. And, it is. I I like a lot of it, and a lot of it. I I think they miss the mark. The thing is, a Twilight Zone story is a particular thing, and it's not that it's a formula because there are always episodes that. If if you try and describe what a perfect Twilight Zone is, there are always episodes of the original series that sit outside of that. You know, it it was more varied than people. um give it credit for. But there was a certain feeling about them. And I think the the versions that have come later, that has been the hardest thing for them to capture, you know, that Twilight Zone feeling. And I think the thing that goes against the 80s show to a degree is that the original was such a beautiful looking show. You know, it was shot on film, it had high production values whereas the 80s show looked like every other 80s show, you know. But the original Twilight Zone, uh, sure, there was other shows that probably looked as good as it, but there was, you know, a lot of shows that just weren't up to that standard. And I think the 80s Twilight Zone suffers a little bit with that, but there are some really good stories in there. I wish I could pick out some names. There's one called To See the Invisible Man, which is just like, perfect Twilight Zone in its story and what it's saying and so on. So it's like finding diamonds in the rough in a way, you know? (laughs) I think there is good stuff in there if you look for it.
2: Yeah, and one of the things that I guess I liked about uh, the 80s version over the last couple of reboots is like Night Gallery, it sat within, uh, I believe it sat within an hour time slot and uh they filled it with more than one episode so they didn't mm-hmm. feel the need to stretch or pad or um make it overly long and i love that uh, pilot episode with uh yeah. with bruce willis uh shattered yeah. the Saturday episode and even i think is it melinda dylan who's in the second episode i want to say oh but not I'm thinking of the episode Tom, where she's able, she finds the amulet, and she's able to uh, stop time. She says, "Shut up" or something when things get mm. loud, and, and and it ends with a rocket about to hit over a uh, Doctor Strange Love uh, Theater marquee. Um, but yeah, David, I may have conflated that with something else because I'm, I'm an old fart.
1: <laughs> no, uh, I, I know exactly <laughs> the one you mean. Sorry, David, go on. No, 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 no,
0: no, no, please. I was just noted that, and, and this is a, one of my favorite short stories. It's season three, episode 16 is listed as the cold equations, which, and it's given a rating of 7.2, which is better than all the fives or sixes that the other season three episodes, um, list. But the cold equation is one of the, the great short stories in, in uh, science fiction. And if they did that one right, I would definitely want to see that one. I haven't seen it, but I would—that would be on my list as one of the first ones I would want to see.
2: Yeah, I feel like I haven't actually watched all of the episodes from the DVD. I think that I probably get through the first season and then I just, you know, wander off to something else. We're traveling to another dimension—dimension dimension only
0: sight and sound. Wondrous land whose boundaries are only that of the imagination.
1: You're entering the Twilight Zone.
2: Well, there was, you know, a reboot in 2002, and... I didn't even know I like I knew nothing about this until I was at a local store and I saw the DVD. There I was like what they they did a another Twilight zone a few years ago. And uh so this was 2002 UPN launched an unsuccessful re- reboot of the show with Forrest Whitaker acting as the narrator. The show ran for one season, produced 43 episodes. Uh, Original Zone contributor, as we've mentioned, I think uh, Bill Momi was enticed back to the series where he starred in a sequel episode to It's a Good Life with his daughter. Uh, And I believe, actually, I have seen that one on YouTube. Um, Have you seen many or any? I'm sure you've seen some of these, Tom. I have not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have. Um, It's going to sound like I'm plugging this thing, but I'm not. I actually cover them on my Patreon. So I've been through all the AC show. Uh, I'm almost through the 2000 show, so I've seen most of them. Um, and I think the thing about the 2000 show is I think the sequel to It's a Good Life with Bill Mooney and Cloris Leachman in, if nothing else, that justifies its existence because I think that's, that's really good, you know? Um, but I think, you know, Genre fans, sci-fi fans, whatever you want to call them, can be a bit protective of original things sometimes. And I think by just exposing myself to Twilight Zone, the movie, the 80s Twilight Zone, the 2000s Twilight Zone, I think I've shed a lot of that kind of armor to be like, no, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. And I'm very much just open to enjoying them now, because that's life's good, too man. short to yeah. to kind of nitpick yourself out of enjoying something. Yes. So, so I think there's a lot that's enjoyable in the 2000s show as well. There are some real stinkers in there, but you know there are some real stinkers in the original show as well.
2: And I, I suspect there's some uh, probably standout performances, but again, I haven't seen them. So, um, are there some some actors and actresses that we would be surprised to see maybe now?
1: In a way, yeah. I mean, because it is it is very much of its time. So, I'm I'm struggling to remember some, but like I just watched an episode where Jessica Simpson was in it, you know, and she no. was very much a kind of the the gale of the time, you know. Right. Um, and she's fine, you know. There's, there's obviously better actors in there, but you know, Ian McShane, who uh, is in the John Wick movies. You know, he's a he's a British actor. Um, so there's some, yeah. There's there's a lot of names you will recognise from that time there for sure.
2: Okay, I'm adding it to my Amazon cart.
1: <laughs> that box go. set is uh, pretty expensive these days. Oh really? Yeah, because oh. like, they brought it out, but then it went out of print and. And who is bringing out new versions of this stuff these days? No one is, are they? So you know they'll yeah. always look after the original show. But the the eighties one and the two thousands one, no one's cleaning that up for Blu-ray. No one's doing that kind of thing, which uh, is which is a shame.
2: Now this happens to me all the time. Whenever I decide that oh I I need to pick that up, all of a sudden it goes through the roof. <laughs> mm. You know, or often I find what happens is just before there's about to be a massive anniversary release of something, you'll you'll try to find an older version and it will mm-hmm. be like instead of being twenty dollars, it's like five hundred or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a music guy, too. So I've been finding that with some older vinyl recently. Mm-hmm. All righty. Let's not go too far down that rabbit hole. Um And then we get the recent uh, Jordan Peele version, following uh, the success of his horror film Get Out, Jordan Peele became the first of the Twilight Zone for a new generation, airing again, it's a CBS property, so airing on CBS All Access in the US. The show aired between 2019 and 2020, producing two seasons consisting of 10 episodes each. Um, each season in early 2021, Peel's Monkey's Paw Productions issued a statement clarifying that the show had not been cancelled. Uh, they said, after 20 unique episodes, we've told the stories that we wanted to tell and CBS All Access was gracious in their understanding of our decision. It was an honour and a privilege to bring audiences a modern reimagining of Rod Serling's iconic creation. And again, this was a... Uh, an hour long version. And, uh, this was a single, single episodes every hour. Um, and, and I was quite happy. Uh, many of them I, I really liked. Uh, I, again, I think that, that a half an hour probably would have served most of them a little bit better. Um, but let's, let's hear your thoughts on the most recent version of the Twilight Zone, Tom.
1: It was very interesting as a, a podcaster who'd been Covering the original show for years and then it's this new version coming out. It was like, it was like being a Star Wars fan and then suddenly they announced Mm. The Force Awakens and you're like, this is our time again, you know? Yes. Um, and I was very lucky, uh, that one of the producers of the show, Wynn Rosenfeld, contacted me and, you know, I got to speak with them and to kind of be a part of it. So, um, I, I think my disappointment was that, not not with the show, because I really love the show, to be honest. I think the production values were great, you know, like everything, some episodes better than others. But I personally feel it, it's the best of the reboots that um in my opinion. Um but I think we we are in a, a world now where fandom can be so so kind of aggressively um critical of things that the noise yeah. of that is deafening sometimes and like i said I, I i don't have that armor anymore where i'm like no you can't do that you can't do that it, i i kind of take things on their own merits and I, and i really like that show but i don't think large portions of the fandom were really into it now if if that is just generally that they didn't like the show and and stuff everyone is absolutely entitled to that opinion because for some people, the Twilight Zone begins and ends with the original show. And you can't argue with that. You know, you can't argue with that. Uh, but for me, I think it was, uh, a good and sincere, um, effort to revive the show. And I think a lot of people think they were getting better in season two. So they were kind of, you know, they were figuring out how, how to do this. But I think the kind of timing of COVID and, The fact that there there just was a lot of criticism out there which i personally didn't agree with a lot of it um i think they probably just got to the point where they're like well why you know why are we bothering doing this anymore but um it's a shame that they didn't kind of think well let's hand it over to a different creative team what's jj abrams got to say about the twilight zone you know what what's um guillermo del toro got to say about the twilight zone why not keep it going. If monkey's poor didn't want to do it anymore, then let's, let's try someone else. Because I think, sorry if I'm rambling here, but, but I think the thing with the twilight zone is because there have been these big gaps between versions, people get very sort of protective and defensive about that original version. But if, if you look at something like doctor who, and their fans are very rabid these days as well, but you know, that original run of it went from the sixties right up through the 80s and people will have definitely had their preferred periods but there wasn't that kind of separation where people were like no it's william hartnell or or you know or nothing and i think there was that sort of lineage there where people were eased into different eras of that show which you never really got with the twilight zone and that seems to to cause problems for people sometimes
2: yeah, I know. I was very excited. I wanted a season three, especially when I had heard, um, I guess in some of the commentary, um, from the producers, how they had this vision that we were talking about earlier. Uh, it may have actually, no, it was, it was this episode, but they had this vision of the Twilight Zone of being this overarching thing, not just a series of stories, but but yeah. sort of like an entity, uh, I was fascinated by that, and I wanted more of that. And I, but I do love what you were saying. It would be so cool to have like a, a new group take it over, um, almost in the way that, uh, uh, like with with Fargo, how each season is a different mm-hmm. different thing, uh, all its mm-hmm. own. Um, I think Twilight Zone would really lend itself to that. And you know, there's so many great. Creators out there right now. I'm actually really excited right now about all of the new people uh, in horror and in, in genre in general. Um, mm-hmm. uh, like I'm a big uh, Ari Aster fan and a big uh, uh, like Mike Flanagan's work. Um, and I forget the name of the fellow who did uh, The Lighthouse and The Witch. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. some, some, just some great people out there right now, and it would be nice to hand that over to people like that, or even like J.J. Abrams would be super too. Um, and what I appreciated about uh, the recent run of Twilight Zones was that it sort of returned to um, to Rod's idea of examining um, stories through social commentary and, and, and approaching a social commentary in a way that was allegorical. Um, I thought the, 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 the Peel productions were great for that. Like they did, they were not lazy. They, they were challenging. Um, so yeah, you got me now wanting to go, you know, pop those
0: back (laughs) on the DVD player. Now, would that be Robert Eggers or is it someone? Oh, yes.
2: That's, that's a, um, Robert Eggers.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and American Horror Story, which is something I, I have somehow missed over the years, but has been so popular and keeps re-envisioning itself or has different kind of themes and different stories over the years. You would think something like that for Twilight Zone would, would work if you get the right people involved and just have a different, but then of course there are more season long things. I assume they are eight or 10 episode things with American horror story and the twilight zone has always sort of been based on the idea of, you know, these shows, like one episode things that don't connect to each other. So it might be, unless I can do a whole, that would be something else to have a twilight zone that would actually last eight or 10, um, right. Full hour episodes, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah. And I guess that's sort of the era that we're in now where you could do something like that. Um, Tom, one of the things that we wanted to do as we, uh, you know, get towards our conclusion here is look at the the some of the influences that the Twilight Zone has had and how, you know, we are now in another sort of era where anthology seems to be something people are willing to watch. Um, but I, I sort of call this section the children of the zone. Um, you know, we've had shows like Black Mirror, uh, Love, Death and Robots, Dimension 404 and Inside Number Nine. Um, you know, these great sort of dark and twisted anthology shows um, and, you know, recent. Well, not these are not all recent, but but movies that came to mind that felt like they had a lineage that owed something to to Rod and his group of writers. Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, I guess I guess this can be one of my Beatlisms. Uh Yesterday, uh, I thought even back to Carnival of Souls, an older film that I love. Um, Vanilla Sky, Groundhog Day. Um and Watch Mojo um, had compiled a list of films with direct connections to Twilight Zone episodes. And uh these included Child's Play and Annabelle with a obviously owing a debt to Living Doll, uh What Women Want to a Penny for Your Thoughts, Midnight in Paris to a Stop at Willoughby, Six Cents to The Hitchhiker, uh, Poltergeist, obviously to Little Girl Lost, The Good Place to a Nice Place to Visit. Final Destination to 22, The Truman Show to a Wonderful – sorry, uh, The Truman Show to a World of Difference, Us to Mirror Image, which is an episode I'm surprised I didn't mention in one of my favorites, Stranger Than Fiction to a World of His Own, Liar, Liar to the Whole Truth, and I will say it again, Christine to You Drive. Um, Any others that uh, we want to consider in 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 that sort of list of uh, uh, bloodlines?
1: Well, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, like you say, every now and again, a film will come up, and you you kind of sit back and you go, you know what? If they'd just said, um, it, you know, the Twilight Zone colon that film's title, and they'd had it as like a, a kind of film series that that is in the style of the Twilight Zone, and it would absolutely fit. I um, have you seen the Tom Cruise movie Edge of Tomorrow?
0: I have not. Have you, David? You did? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's really underrated. That is such a good film.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it is, and it's you know, yes, more big budget and sort of uh, actiony and and bombastic than your average Twilight Zone. But story wise, that could you know, if if the like we say, if the Twilight Zone had continued and they d- did it all in these different ways, the Twilight Zone colon ed- edge of tomorrow, I would mm. buy it. You know, absolutely. Well, it's
0: like Groundhog Day. It's basically those kind of repeat moments mm. where you keep dying or you're having to keep reliving an incident. It does sound very much like a Twilight Zone script, doesn't it?
1: hmm Yeah.
2: Tom, do you have a favorite, um, I guess, a parody or an homage to the Twilight Zone?
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, I mean,
2: I know there's so many of them. I'll let you think about that. And I'll just mention I, that one of my favorites is, uh, actually this, this freaked me out before I realized it was a parody. It's the uh, Dick Van Dyke episode, uh, where it's a full Twilight Zone parody. And they, they, uh, talk about a, uh, Dick watches a show. It's a movie on the TV show, but it's, it's about these aliens from the planet Twilo. And, um, uh, in it, everybody, everybody loses their thumbs and, uh, they're taken over by a walnut, I believe. <laughs> anyway, it's a hilarious episode. It's, I believe it's... Uh, well, actually, you can stream it, but it might actually likely be on YouTube if you haven't seen that one. Of course, there's so many in The Simpsons, but uh, I don't know if I bought you enough time there, Tom.
1: Well, I'll kind of go with the, the cousin of The Simpsons, Futurama, you know, the scary door. You're entering the vicinity of an area
0: adjacent to a location, the kind of place where there might be a monster, some kind of weird mirror. These are just examples. It could also be something much better. Prepare to enter the scary door. As per your request, please find enclosed the last man on Earth. Finally, solitude. I can read books for all eternity. It's not fair. It's not fair! Wait, my eyes aren't that bad. I can still read the large print books.
1: I can't remember how they presented it, whether it was a show within the show that they watched or whether it was some sort of wraparound thing, but it was, you know, a Rod Serling-esque person doing a narration for The Scary Door. You know, and it was... And then they would have these little stories the Scary that were just,
2: Door! <laughs> yeah.
1: They were kind of ridiculous little parodies of The Twilight Zone, like... Uh, you know, five of the twists in in sequence or something like that. You know, I'm Hitler, I'm this, I'm that. And, um, you know, I, I'll have to go back and watch them, but it that's always stuck in my head because I think Futurama had a really good way of kind of uh being affectionate about something, but also kind of, you know, digging it in the ribs a little bit and having fun at its expense as well. It, it struck a good balance.
2: That sounds good. I need to revisit Futurama. Um, okay, I have my Beatalism for the episode, because it just has to be done. Uh, this is a musical war of the worlds. Serling's final radio performance, Fantasy Park, was a 48-hour-long rock concert aired by nearly 200 stations in 1974 and 1975. The program even reunited the Beatles. It was also completely imaginary, as KNUPS program director Bo Weaver put it, A theatre of the mind for the 1970s, the concert used record albums, many recorded live in concert, uh, plus crowd noises. General Manager Bart McClendon recruited Rod Serling to record the host segments, bumpers, custom promos, and TV spots. Serling wrote the disclaimers, which aired each hour. He said, Hello, this is Rod Serling, and welcome back to Fantasy Park. The crowds here today are unreal. And this is Fantasy Park, the greatest live concert never held. And that's my Beatleism. I know it's a stretch, but got it in. Uh, do you, any, any idea of another potential connection to the Beatles with the Twilight Zone, Tom?
1: You know, being from Liverpool, you think I would have one, but <laughs> unfortunately I don't. Uh,
2: well, we're going to wrap things up almost with our uh, dream cast. And I guess we're going to do a bit of a show, Schrodinger's cast, too. Um if it's okay, David, I'll start and uh, then the three of us will give our responses. All we're doing is looking at one role in the original series and picking the best actor for that role and then our really wacky unusual choice um, and this is for the Twilight Zone so it's it's odd because we're just doing one this time around with um, we're doing the possible the best possible actors and actresses who have ever lived. It's time for dream casting. Dream
0: casting.
2: Yeah. Dream
1: casting, baby.
0: Yeah, I'm going to start with, um, the, uh, we're just picking one role. So I'm picking the, from, um, to serve man, uh, the canomite, uh, who I think was played by Richard Keel, who later on, was in a couple Bond films, just because he's a very tall person. So I figured the best person who is known for being a bit tall and has been in science fiction movies before, or at least one, was James Arness, who played the thing from another world in the 1951 Howard Hawkes film. So I'm picking as my dream cast of the canamite James Arness.
2: I was thinking after watching all of those Twilight Zone episodes that I thought I had not seen before, but there was always more. There was always more. There was always another one where I went, this is not, I've never seen this. How is this possible? Anyway, um, watching in four different portrayals, um, Burgess Meredith, uh, it occurred to me that Burgess Meredith reminded me a lot of modern Martin short, especially um, his work in Only... Only Murders in the Building. So I was choosing Martin Short to play Mr. Smith in The Printer's Devil, taking over for Burgess Meredith.
1: Well, I don't really have one uh, specifically because I I think you could say John Hamm and pretty much any Twilight Zone episode because the Twilight Zone always used to have these kind of uh, clean-cut, you know, uh, clean-shaven white guys with you know the side part of the hair and the suits and i think you know john ham could probably step into pretty much any any twilight zone episode because all the protagonists seem to look that way
0: definitely uh yeah, it wasn't uh, kevin mccarthy in one of the twilight zone episodes i always like him from um invasion of the body snatchers and he just fits in with that perfect mold of that actor that would be in a twilight zone episode from the 60s
2: yeah well he was in the movie I mean, he was in the movie and oh yeah, that's right it's a good life but he must have been in an early one he must have been in an original one okay are you moving on to schrodinger's yeah, yeah. past yeah i will go ahead just so tom knows We are not, I think we've probably established so far, we're not actually on drugs, but this might lead you to think that we are on drugs. This is where we just pick our weird, weird outside of the box thing. And uh, David, what do you have?
0: Yeah, so what I've got is um, I picked the same role as the canamite, and I just wanted to pick someone more unusual who would actually could be in that role, who isn't really known as an actor, but happened to be in Conan the Destroyer, um, someone who's more known for his basketball playing. I think he's the only player to have ever scored 100 points in one um, NBA game, if I remember correctly. But Wilt Chamberlain, who was in Conan the Destroyer, I pick as my unusual casting for the Canamite.
2: Tom, I use something called the Random Name Generator 2000 for the past mm. number of of uh, episodes. So uh, I went with, I wanted to put somebody in the Invaders episode, which was uh, played originally by Agnes Moorhead. And the Random Name Generator 9000 has given me Mr. T., Mr. T as, oh my goodness. as uh, I guess the woman in the room, the silent woman in the room. First of all, it'd be interesting to see Mr. T not speaking um, and running <laughs> around. the
1: different episodes. It, it? it would be
2: very different. <laughs> it would be very. Maybe if there had been a season three of uh, the Jordan Peele version, we might have got this, but we'll never know now. Anyway, yeah. I don't know if you want to add to that insanity or not, or we can well,
1: just like. I, I will. Um, oh, excellent. Okay, I, I've got one then. So I will go with to save man as well, and I will go with one that sounds ridiculous, but I'll get to that in a moment. So Danny DeVito is the Canamit. Now <laughs> uh, it's not it. as ridiculous as it sounds because yeah. in in the original short story that it was based on, the Canamit looked more like Danny DeVito than what we ended up with on screen. So there you go. <laughs> That's
0: brilliant. <laughs> See, you know how to play this game. Yeah, that was well done. Oh, by the way, I just quickly uh, checked because we we all do have a memory of uh, Kevin McCarthy. So it was there was an episode called Long Live Walter Jameson uh, from season one, episode 24. Um, That's the one that description here is a uh, chance discovery by a college professor reveals that his young colleague and prospective son-in-law has a gift of eternal life. It's already more than 2000 years old. And that one had Kevin McCarthy in it.
2: So I'm I'm thinking, uh, Tom, we're we're about ready to finally let you go. Is there anything that you want to um, give a shout out to or promote? Anything you want to tell us that you've got upcoming?
1: Well, I am in you know season five of the Twilight Zone, which was the final season. And for anyone who hasn't heard the show, I do. It's a solo podcast. I kind of review each episode, but I intersperse that with trivia, clips of the show, you know, opinion and so on and it's just a kind of patchwork of of all these things in each episode so um so yeah it's a it's a any time it's an anthology so you can jump on at any point and it's at the com and and all the podcatchers out there so yeah thank you for giving me that opportunity guys
2: Well, you do an amazing job, and uh, I'm glad you could come and play with us, but I realize that sort of was the penultimate question. Um, We wanted to just ask you, is there anything that you picked up in the last five or ten years, anything about the series that you didn't know before that really surprised you uh, when you learned it?
1: You know, although as a kid I loved The Twilight Zone and I rediscovered it, I don't think... You can watch the show now and read about the show without really discovering just what a great humanitarian Rod Sailing was. What a great perspective he had on life. And I, you know, I miss his wisdom because I think we could really use it right now. So, so yeah, that's the big thing for me. Rod Sailing, the man he was. It was uh, fantastic.
2: Yeah, we would love you to come back at some point if you uh, can ever pull yourself out of that chair from this session. But um, <laughs> yeah, we would certainly like to get you back to talk horror come Halloween. But don't it's... no commitment, no commitment. Don't worry, don't <laughs> you don't have to sign <laughs> anything yet. <laughs> Sorry, what were you going to say, Tom?
1: I, I was going to say it, it's been a pleasure, gentlemen, and you know it's it's always good to make new friends and uh, and you know thank you so much.
0: So glad to have you. Or as I like to say, the plesiosaur is all ours. But no, sorry, that was, uh, I had to work in one pun during this episode. So that's our Twilight Zone episode part two.
2: Remember to catch us on all our socials. Uh, try Spotify. Our website is 2numeric2of.ca. And our Facebook is always a great place to find us uh, where you can post things and uh, chat with us. That's 2 Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi on Facebook. Please like and subscribe wherever you can.
0: I am David Klink.
2: And I am Troy Harkin. See you all for our next episode of Two Old Farts. Talk sci-fi.